marriage, divorce, sex. That's what Dr. J. Vernon McGee talks about today on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, your host, and today the Bible bus rolls up to 1 Corinthians 7. Last time, Dr. McGee said the marriage of believers is a total commitment. And a lack of total commitment is one of the reasons so many marriages are in trouble today. To continue his thoughts on this matter, let's listen to his introduction for today's study. Now today we come back to this very controversial 7th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And again, there are several things that I want to say as we get into our study relative to this. That today, marriage is having a real struggle in a world of new morality. There are many couples, it's estimated now, several million living together that have never actually been married. And the divorce rate, and even among Christians, is alarming today. In spite of all the seminars that have been conducted and all the books that have been written for Christians, and still it goes on. It hasn't deterred in any way all of this. And I believe that it's largely because we have not gotten down to the basics And the things that are absolutely essential is a knowledge of the Word of God. Now, in this particular section, why we are dealing with this matter of marriage, divorce, and sex. Paul's talking about it. Now, I am no specialist in this field at all, and my only thought is that I'm teaching the Bible, and I've come to that section now. And I'm going to deal with it, and I deal with it forthrightly. Those of you who listened last time know that. And again today, we'll deal with it. We trust in a very chaste manner. We do not want to be crude or rude about it. But we do need to recognize that Christian marriage is a total commitment on the part of both the man and the woman. And it is something that is, I think, not understood today, that when you have fallen in love and the other party has fallen in love with you and you can look at each other and say, I love you, I want to live with you the rest of my life, that's total commitment. And that's what marriage really means. Now, I'm talking to Christians about a Christian marriage. When you're not a Christian, you can't make a Christian marriage. And I don't know why we try to settle all these rules on unsaved people. They don't need a course in how to get along with their partner. What they need is to meet the Savior and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I was very much impressed the other night, and I'll get criticized for saying this, but I'm going to say it just same, and that is I looked in on a program where they were having a beauty contest for the married people, and they were the young married, and the women were very attractive women, and several of them, the, the 10 that were chosen, gave testimonies, and I was very much interested in the testimony of two. The main winner was asked the question, why do you think there's so much divorce today? And her answer was that she did not believe that they were totally committed. And I thought that's very interesting. 
and I listened. And in a few moments, in another question, she said something about you'd have to trust the Lord. And then I knew that she was a Christian. Marriage is a total commitment. Now, if you've met someone, a Christian friend, and you feel like you can live with him the rest of your life, why marry him? If you've met the girl that you think you can live with the rest of your life, and she'll have you while you marry her. But we need to understand today that marriage is a total commitment. So let us come to our study. And Heavenly Father, may the Spirit of God be our teacher, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20, for our study on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we come back to 1 Corinthians 7. And Paul, in this section, is answering questions that the Corinthian church has raised. And the question had to do with, actually, marriage and divorce. And we saw that Paul is speaking into a local situation. And that Paul, we believe, it's our judgment, Paul had been married. He was a widower. And he said that he did not marry again. He could have taken a wife around with him as Cephas did, but he didn't. And the reason he didn't was because, actually, of his missionary journeys. I think his life would have been too difficult for a woman and certainly for a family to have been along with him. And it might have curtailed his work. And he reveals the fact, though, and if you feel like, Paul is harsh on women, and you just haven't read Paul aright, because actually he's the one that lifted womanhood out of the place of being a chattel or a slave and brought her up to where God intended her to be, the other half of man, the other part of him. Now, Paul speaks very tenderly of that relationship, by the way, that they are mutually dependent one upon the other and should look to each other for all of the satisfactions of life. And you must remember that up yonder on Acro-Corinthus, towering over the city of Corinth, and it towers over those ruins today, was that awful, horrible temple of Aphrodite where a thousand prostitutes in the name of religion, and men went there. And actually, a wife was just a cheap bookkeeper or housekeeper. That's all in the world it was. And Paul is saying, you're not to go up there now as a believer, but your wife is your companion. She is your partner. And then he speaks of the fact that if you're not married and you don't need to get married, It's well to continue as you are. And he would apply that, by the way, to every relationship of life. When you're converted, he says, don't seek to get out of that relationship. Now, there were those in Corinth, and very frankly, there were both men and women that were presented with a real problem. When Paul came and preached the gospel, a husband in this family would accept Christ. The wife did not. In another family, the wife accepted Christ, the husband did not. Now, what will a believer do? Stay right where you are if you can, Paul says. Now, if the unbeliever leaves you, that's another story. 
then you are free. Now, the question is, are you free to marry again? Now, I said last time that I believed under certain circumstances that Paul would have given permission for it. But I, today, do not think you could put down a categorical rule. Either way, I think that each case stands and falls on its own merits, because this is an out for too many folk today that would use it, and I'm afraid even Christians would do that. Now, he said this would apply to any relationship. For instance, if you belong to the circumcised, if you're an Israelite, well, don't try to become a Gentile. (laughs) And if you're a Gentile, don't try to become an Israelite. Just come to Christ, and it's not necessary for you to change. He says circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Now, these things that divide us believers today actually ought not to divide us. And that's one reason that I find myself today able to mix with all groups who hold to the Word of God, the deity of Christ. In fact, He died upon the cross for our sins. And I cross over lines all the time. In fact, some of my minister friends are amazed by it. I actually have spoken to some of the leading Pentecostal churches. One man said to me, he's on radio, he said, how is it that you beat them on the head and they have you and I'm nice to them? Well, I said, you actually are not nice to them because of the fact they have a question in their mind of whether you really believe in the inspiration of the Scripture. Now, these minor things ought not to divide us. And I consider a great many things minor and certain things that are essential. Now, as to the essentials, when we agree on that, I don't care how he practices, for instance, baptism. I don't care how he practices the Lord's Supper. I don't care how he practices other things. He may do a lot of things that I don't agree with, but that's no reason for me to break fellowship with him, you see. A great many people think, and I'm afraid a great many businessmen, they get converted and they get interested in some Christian organization. Then the next thing I know, I have one of them that will come to me and say, now I'm thinking about giving up my business and going into Christian work. Well, the chances are, especially if you're a successful businessman, God's given you a gift to minister in that particular area. And he doesn't intend you to go into full-time Christian work. And now listen to him here. Verse 20, and I'll back up to that. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he's called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. In that day there were slaves and free men. Now, when you were a slave, a servant of a man, don't try to get loose from that, thinking that is what God wants you to do. It may not be. You may be tied down to a business today. Maybe making money. Well, God, chances are that's where he wants you, you see. And now that you become a Christian, there's no reason to give that up at all. And if you today are a housewife, and I find that a great many housewives get the notion that they are to become some great Bible teacher or that they are to get concerned about that, and actually some of them neglect their families because of it. I never shall forget the story I heard about the late Gypsy Smith. He didn't believe in women preachers. And one woman came to him in Dallas, Texas, and said to him, Gypsy Smith, I feel called to go into the ministry. And he asked her a very pertinent question. He had a way of doing that. 
And he said, by the way, are you married? She said, yes. Said, how many children you got? She said, five. He says, that's wonderful. He says, God has called you into the ministry and he's already given you your congregation. That's our congregation, you see. Don't try to get out of the place that you're in just because you've been converted. You're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of man. That is, now you've been redeemed, but now don't become a slave to somebody, some individual. Now that would answer the question, would it not, of the cocktail waitress. Now, we had a case here on radio, and it was a local case of a young lady that was a cocktail waitress. She got converted. And very frankly, this is all brand new to her. Her question to me was, should I give this up? And she says, I don't feel right doing this now. And I said, well, now that's going to be up to you. That's a decision for you to make, but you have a conviction you should give it up. And if you ask me personally what I think about it, I think you ought to give it up. But don't give it up because I say so. You give it up because you've come to that conviction. And she gave it up. Now, I suppose two weeks after that, she was free from that and got another job. You're bought with a price. Be not the servants of man. Now, we come down to verse 24. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Now, that's the important thing. When you're converted, whatever you are doing, wherever you are in that position, can you be free in your relationship to God? Can you put him first? Now, that's what he's going to discuss because now in the remainder of this chapter, he's going to answer the second question that they brought to him that is related, by the way, to the first question. And all of this must be looked at in the light of those local circumstances. It must be looked at in the light of what Corinth really was and then interpret that in the light of the day we live in. And the second question was this. Corinth was such a corrupt place and manhood was corrupted here. Anytime that woman becomes corrupt, manhood will go down. That's always been the story. And so the question had arisen in Corinth among Christian parents now who had marriageable daughters. What should they do? Before they were converted, they knew this drunken sot that they had met in Corinth, made trips up to the temple of Aphrodite, went up and associated with the prostitutes. Now, what should the girl do? What should the single girl do? And verse 25 now, he's answering that question. Now concerning virgins. Now, you'll notice one or two translations have made that virgin daughters, and I think that clarifies it. I think that's what we're talking about now. Now concerning virgin daughters. What should they do? Paul says, I have no commandment of the Lord. Now, this revealed that Paul knew the commandments of the Lord Jesus, what he had taught. And he says, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I have my judgment. Paul said, I give you my opinion in the light of the fact of what? As one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Now, Paul says, I've obtained mercy of God. And that was the basis on which he said, we should let Christians judge our affairs because they know what the mercy of God is. They've obtained it. Now, Paul says, I've obtained the mercy of God, 
and I want to be faithful to God, and I'll give you my judgment. Now, what is that? He says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. Now, the present distress was that awful situation in Corinth, which Paul knew was not going to last. And somebody said to me the other day, do you think this new morality, this lawlessness is going to continue? It can't continue, friends. It'll bring down our house eventually if it does continue, and then it will be ended, that is for sure. But the thing is that it's just a present distress that we're in today. Now, I take it that he's referring to that situation that existed in Corinth. He says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. That is, what now is he going to say? Well, listen, verse 27, art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Now he says, is your present situation, since you've come to Christ, are bound to a wife, stay with her. She is unsaved, stay with her as long as you can. Are you not married? Well, then, in the present distress, the tremendous immorality that was there, it'd be best to remain single. Now, that's what Paul is saying. But he says this is his judgment. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sin. It's certainly not sinful, Paul is saying, at all. And if a virgin marry, that is, a virgin daughter marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you, Paul says, I'm saying this to you to save you from quite a headache, you see. Like the country boy was being married, and the preacher said to him, Wilt thou have this woman to be thy lawfully wedded wife? And this young fellow said, I will. And I guess he did. By the way, believe me, the sea of matrimony is a rough sea for anyone today. The divorce is in Southern California, now about equal to marriages. And when they get ahead of the marriages, that's going to be something, you know. That reveals that we have a present distress. Now, Paul is going to say in the light of the present distress, there are several things that he's going to discuss with them, you see. He'll mention these now. In light of the present distress, the time, he says, is short, and there's an urgency, an immediacy, and because of that, it doesn't only apply to marriage, why, it applies to other things. And he's going to mention five things, all of them necessary, all of them inevitable, all of them actually the common experience of man in this world. And let me just enumerate them, and we'll take them up here. Marriage, sorrow, joy commerce, and then just the world in general. All of these, now, we have a relationship to. Now, notice what Paul says. You couldn't escape these. Marriage is the first one. Paul says, sure, it's all right to go ahead and marry, but remember, you're going to have trouble, and you will, by the way. That's something that we, on counseling, I've always tried to tell young people that the romantic period will pass. And when the first month's rent comes due, and there's not much money in the treasury, believe me, the romance might fly out the window. Now, will you notice? Now, he says, verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. In other words, Paul says that 
regardless, because of the times, are you putting God first? That is, can you act as if you're not married? And then he goes on to bring in these others, and they that weep, that sorrow that'll come to us as though they wept not. Are you going to let some sorrow, a tragedy in your life, keep you from serving God? And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, are you going to let pleasure take the place of your relationship to God? Many have done that. And they that buy as though they possess not, you're going to let your business take the place of God. Many a man today has made business is God. And verse 31, and they that use this world is not abusing it. Now, you and I are in the world, not of the world, but that doesn't mean we are to walk around today with the attitude of touch not, taste not, handle not. We can use this world. I, I made a trip up into the Northwest. And I just stopped many times and look upon those glorious forests that they have up there. And I want to tell you, I can use them. They bless my heart. I enjoyed it. But I didn't fall down and worship any one of those trees up there. There's some pretty hefty trees there, too, by the way. But they that use this world, not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Are you caught up today in the things at the present? May I say to you, do these things control your life? Or does Christ control your life? Now, that's what he's talking about. And he says, as he moves back into this area, Verse 32, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. He's just giving now this observation that an unmarried person doesn't have to worry about, you know, changing the children's dieties or going out and buy food for them. He can give his time or she can give her time to the things of God. But he that's married careth for the things that are the world, how he may please his wife. And that's normal, natural, and it's not wrong. Paul's not saying that. What Paul is trying to say here is, are you putting God first in your life? And he discusses that. And I'm not going to pursue that through the rest of this, but we find that Paul is making it very clear that the important thing is to put God first and that should be the determinant factor for every person in a marriage relationship. Now, can you put God first in your marriage? And I don't care who you are and how spiritual you may think you are. You're not putting God first in your marriage. Then that marriage, my friend, is not the ideal Christian marriage. That is the thing Paul, I think, makes very clear here. And he's saying that this, by the way, is his judgment. He says, verse 35, and this I speak for your own prophet. Again, he comes back to it that this is his judgment and his feeling in the matter. Verse 40, but she is happy if she so abide after my judgment. And Paul says, this is just my advice to you that this is the way that it should be. And the important thing in any marriage relationship is not whether it's legal or what will the church say. What will my fundamental friends? Important thing is, can I serve God? Am I putting him first in my life? And there are many so-called Christian couples that are not putting God first in their lives, and they're getting along all right. They're not going to divorce court, but that's not ideal. 
That's the thing Paul is saying now in this particular chapter. Now, we'll have to leave off there today. We begin at chapter 8 next time. Until then, may God richly bless you. Are we putting God first in our lives? You know, Dr. McGee is right. Whether we're married or single, that's the single most important question we can ask ourselves today. I hope that you've enjoyed these past couple of studies. 1 Corinthians is packed full of wisdom for Christian living, so be sure to join us every day. To help you go deeper, download our Bible companion for 1 Corinthians. And for more great teaching by Dr. McGee, you'll want to check out his digital booklet, When the Cross Divides, which takes us through 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Download your free digital copies of When the Cross Divides and our Bible companion for 1 Corinthians at ttb.org. In the resources section of ttb.org, just look for free booklets. Or call 1-800-65-BIBLE if you have questions about how you can support the Bible bus as we continue along through God's Word. I'm Steve Schwetz, grateful for your company as we together travel through the Bible. Our story on the Bible bus today is just one step in a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. Come along for the ride, and you'll study both the Old Testament and New Testament, discovering God's great redemption story. Is this your story, too?